0: Welcome. I'm Josie Briggs. I'm the editor in chief of Jason. I want to welcome you to the second of our podcast. As many of you know, the editorial teams at major journals are often the province of pretty senior folks, well established in the field and not so young. About two years ago, the Jason editors decided we needed the benefit of the insights of some younger scientists and we established our Editorial Fellowship Program. The participants are chosen through a tough selection process. They are kidney researchers pretty early in their careers, uh, although they're all on the way to very substantial achievements. They participate in all aspects of our tough peer review and selection process, and they are teaching us a lot. When we decided we'd like to do some podcasts, we thought, what a great opportunity to highlight the voices of some of our terrific editorial fellows and bring younger voices into the prominence in the dialogue about the interesting science we publish. Today, our lead discussant is Dr. Madhav Menon, who's at Mount Sinai in New York. Newly promoted, I understand, to be associate professor and a rising star in kidney transplant research. We are here today to talk about a paper about to appear online in Jason. It's entitled, Harnessing, Express Single Nucleotide Variation and Single-Cell RNA Sequencing to Define Immune Cell Chimerism in the Rejecting Kidney Transplant. We will be joined by Dr. Andrew Malone. Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Washington University School of Medicine, Division of Nephrology, who is the first author on this interesting paper. His co-authors are Ja Wu, Joseph Gott, Katerina Fronek, Robert Fulton, and the lead corresponding author is Ben Humphreys. So with that preamble, let me turn this over to you, Dr. Manon, to get us started talking about this interesting work.
1: Thank you for the generous introduction, Dr. Briggs. A very warm welcome to Dr. Malone. Dr. Malone, uh, regarding this paper, so maybe we can start with some background.
2: Uh, What important questions
3: are driving this work?
2: Sure, uh, I'd like to start with thanking uh, Dr. Briggs and Dr. Menon and the Jason editorial team for the invitation to discuss our manuscript today. So getting into the background, as you know, a, a kidney transplant is a chimeric organ. That is to say there's uh, cells of donor origin and cells of recipient origin. Um, and this is in particular true for the uh, immune cells within uh, kidney transplant. We thought it would be interesting to uh, investigate the proportions of these immune cells. Um, for example, what proportion do uh, donor and recipient cells make up of the macrophage uh, subsection of immune cells, and what proportion of donor and recipient cells are made up um, within the T cell portion of immune cells. And we figured that a better understanding of this would help us uh, get closer to what's going on in antibody mediated rejection and other types of rejection in the TB transplant. So uh, before. Um, uh, the technologies that we used in the current study were available. The study of chimerism in the kidney transplant was kind of limited to the study of gender mismatched kidney transplants, where the investigator would um, try and identify the Y chromosome cells in your tissue sample, and by that method uh, try to get an understanding of the degree of, of chimerism within the sample. Um, however. Um, this and this technique was not available for every kidney transplant due to the sex mismatch issue. Hey,
3: thanks, thanks for that uh, explanation. Um,
1: let's talk a bit about the methods used in this paper. Why did you choose the technologies that you did? And let's start with the single-cell sequencing
3: technology that was used.
2: Sure, so single-cell RNA sequencing has really exploded on on the scene over the last number of years and becoming more widely available. Um, Essentially, what this tool allows you to do is isolate individual cells and sequence the mRNA molecules, that is, the genes within each individual cell. Um, And more specifically, um, the methods that are used currently to to do this um, involve a small microfluidic chip, and within that chip, um, little aqueous droplets are created. Um, And in each droplet lies ideally one cell. And and when that cell breaks open within that droplet, it releases its mRNA molecules. Um, And those mRNA molecules are then tagged within that droplet with little unique DNA barcodes. Uh, the experimenter then goes on and sequences all this genetic data and then bioinformatically can come back and identify which mRNA molecules or genes were present and then more importantly um, from which cell all of these mRNA molecules came. Um, and really giving you a powerful tool to be able to identify what cell types are within your cell and also what genes are expressed in those.
3: Uh, different cell types. Okay. And, you
1: know, what makes this paper really innovative is the incorporation of the exome sequencing from the donor recipient, and specifically the use of the DEMOXLET tool. Would you explain to the listeners about this tool and what
3: does it make possible? Yeah, so
2: uh, the Demuxlet tool um, is a computational Pipeline or or set of code uh, that was developed by a separate group and and can be applied to many different disease models or areas of interest. And and basically, the DeMuxlet tool harnesses um, the fact that within our our, our, our genome, we have a number of different genetic
3: mutations
2: or variations, um, sometimes referred to as SNPs. And a certain proportion of these genetic variations, or SNPs, actually lie within the coding region of your genome, therefore um, also lie within an mRNA molecule or in, are encoded within an mRNA molecule. And so if you run a single-cell sequencing experiment, you're able to sequence all of these genetic variants that lie within this molecule. The democular tool then uses a reference sequence. And in the case of a kidney transplant biopsy, these two references are um, the coding DNA sequence from the donor, and then the coding DNA sequence from the recipient. The Demuxlet tool then takes each individual cell, looks at all the genetic variation within that cell, and compares it to a the donor, and then b the recipient, and then decides uh, based on that what cell origin it is where this cell came from, either donor or recipient. It then reiterates this with all of the different cells and is able to call um, where each cell in your sample comes from, either donor or recipient. And it turns out that this tool is is extremely accurate um, and a a great improvement on previous methods such as the one described uh, having to rely on uh, identifying the Y chromosome.
1: So the, another challenging aspect of this of this work uh, is the single-cell RNA sequencing performed on freshly collected biopsies. How has this improved since your uh, group's report on
3: this technique in Jason in
2: 2018? So um, the single-cell sequencing field is growing um, very rapidly, and, and more and more methods um, are becoming available. Both bioinformatically but also in terms of the hardware, the platforms that you use to isolate your single cells. And one of the main differences between the current study and our study in 2018 um, are the platforms that we uh, used. In 2018, we used a method called INDROP. Um, And in the current study, we used a a platform called the 10X Genomics. And then the the current platform we use is, actually commercially available and a lot more user-friendly. But in fact, the most important difference is that it allows you to capture a much higher proportion of cells from your single-cell sample. And as you can imagine, when you're studying and using very precious samples, such as a human kidney transplant biopsy, you want to be able to capture, sequence, and study as many of those cells as possible. Um, and to put it into perspective, in 2018, using the INDROP method, um, after QC steps, etc., cetera, um, we were able to study about four four and 4,500 cells from a single biopsy. And in the current method, we actually were able to study over 10,000, sometimes up to 20,000 cells from a single biopsy. And this obviously gives you a lot more power to identify novel cell types and, and interesting gene
3: expression patterns. Um, What do you think are the big challenges in applying this method more widely? Do you think it will be able to be utilized more broadly and clinically?
2: So yes, single-cell sequencing is growing and many more people are getting involved. Um, But there are a couple of hurdles, I think, um, for it to become um, more ubiquitously used. And firstly, the challenge of processing single-cell samples these um, samples usually need to be processed immediately or fresh so that your single cells don't start to change um, um, during experimental process. The second challenge and probably the biggest challenge in my opinion and the biggest challenge for me personally was how to deal with all of this data and the bioinformatics processing of all this data that you can get from one single cell experiment. Um, When I started doing this about uh, four years ago or so, I had no computational background or um, I didn't know any any coding, but um, with lots of trial and error and uh, Googling, I was able to get a handle on the two main coding languages used by single cell sequencing pipelines, that is to say the R language and the Python language, um, which is very helpful for me in these experiments, obviously. I also think it's important for biologists and experimenters who are using single-cell sequencing to have a good handle for understanding on on workflow or pipelines of these bioinformatics tools. And this allows you really to um, be able to use the data in such a way that you can come up with um, plausible biological hypothesis or or, um, uh, to really examine the biology uh,
3: in the best possible way using single cell
1: sequencing the, uh, the other important question along this line is are, are these uh, sequence single cell sequencing data that you and others have generated accessible to the research community
0: let me jump in here from the journal perspective this is a really important question we take very seriously pushing the authors of, of manuscripts we accept, to, to make sure that the data will be generally available to other researchers. Andrew, what is the status of the availability of the data that you have in this manuscript?
2: So our, our data uh, has been uploaded onto the, the GEO website curated by the NIH and, and should be public. And um, So our, our raw data and degrees of analysis of our data is available on on that website and I I think it's very important for the field to be able to examine and look at each other's data and these these tools are really uh, helpful in getting towards the uh, answers that we want to answer such as um, you know um, understanding transplant rejection etc and the other thing I would say is some, some groups are actually putting their, their analyzed data on their own personal lab website, so this allows you to go and kind of find your favorite gene and examine where it might be expressed in the kidney, for example. I think this is another useful tool that many groups are, are using.
0: Terrific, thank you.
1: Thanks for the clarification. So, so let's uh, now talk about some of the, the key biology uh, findings that, in your paper. So one of the findings is that the donor lymphocytic infiltrate is time-dependent whereas the macrophage infiltrate into the allograft is disease or diagnosis-dependent. But this inference reflects the sole, the single early rejection biopsy obtained at 11 days. Clearly, this will need replication. So what are the next steps for, for this inference? What types of other experiments and findings
3: might support these conclusions? Um,
2: yeah. So the next steps are probably a, a few. Um, we would also we would like to replicate this on, on a separate and larger sample number, of course, and um, to confirm or refute the, the findings from the current paper. Um, I think this also brings up another interesting uh, point in in the single cell uh, experimenting um, field, and that is um, validation of your findings. And um, some groups and some experimenters have gone so far as to, you know, identify novel cell types and gene expression patterns. And so, um, it's sometimes important to go back and use non-single cell sequencing methods to validate the presence of, of that cell type or, or gene or protein of interest um, using such methods like, you know, immunofluorescence staining of diseased tissue or immunohistochemistry staining of diseased tissue as a way of, of confirming your findings.
1: And another very relevant aspect of the of, of the pathobiology of rejection uh, that you could address is the donor specificity of the infiltrating lymphocyte subsets. So what, what can we learn from uh, looking at the VDJ rearrangements of the T-cell receptor? Were one or a few of these VDJ re- rearrangements enriched when you examined all lymphocytes in rejection cases? suggesting that possibly the infiltrating lymphocytes
3: were relatively antigen-specific? Um,
2: yeah, so um, BDJ sequencing and looking at T-cell clonality is another interesting aspect and tool in single-cell sequencing. And um, to answer the, the second part of, of that question, um, in this particular study, um, it wasn't the main focus of the manuscript. And we actually only identified a small number T cell clones, which which didn't seem to fall into any particular subset of T cells. Um, but I think in, in general, where this tool or method is interesting is to answer questions such as in the rejecting biopsy, um, how many different types of T cell clones or how many T cell clones are present? Um, or is there just one or two dominant clones within the rejecting uh, biopsy? Um, this brings up uh, another part of, of your question is is the antigen specificity of these T-cell clones. And currently, um, we're we're probably not at a stage yet where we're able to identify what antigen that T-cell clone is finding based purely on the genetic sequence of the T-cell receptor. Um, it probably requires a lot of bioinformatics heavy lifting. Um, There are a couple of tools that get you halfway there uh, available for single-cell sequencing. For example, you can get a pattern or or create a a panel of known antigens, um, and each of these antigens would have a little unique DNA barcode attached to it. And if you add this to your sample and and it binds to a T-cell clone, bioinformatically you can identify which clone and T-cell receptor binds to which antigen. So that really removes the ability to, uh, to, to find or identify novel or unknown antigens, which is really what would be nice to be able to do in, in experiments such
3: as this one. Great. The other
1: very important fundamental question that your work could answer is whether there were any non immune or parenchymal cells, such as tubular cells, that you were able
3: to classify as a recipient origin.
2: Um, yeah, this is an interesting question. Um, so, all of the tubular cells, the cells cells uh, in our data set were identified as donor, which which makes sense, and um, in the endothelial cell fraction, most were donor, but actually there was a very small number, a handful of epithelial cells that were identified as a recipient in origin, and actually, interestingly, these cells all came from one particular biopsy, and that biopsy was from a transplant that was ABO-incompatible, um, which opens another interesting avenue of questions. And, and this particular finding was not a focus of our manuscript, and so we didn't really expand on that finding, and we felt that it was probably a whole project in itself. But you're right, um, that is an interesting um and potential other avenue of exploration with our our, our data. Great. Right, fantastic.
3: And, and then finally, what do you view as as next in your work in this in this particular work?
2: Um yeah, so an extension of this work would be to continue to um grow our data set in terms of numbers of biopsies sequences and studies to to really validate or or find and uh, new interesting um, things in the setting of uh, transplant rejection. And um, another thing that's becoming more and more available is, is, is the, the added tools you can um, incorporate into your experiments. One of which we touched upon, which was the BDJ uh, sequencing of T cells. But you can also examine B cell clones, uh, which um, obviously may be very important and interesting in antibody mediated rejection. And there's a number of other different avenues you can explore um creating a, a multi-omics uh, experiment, if you like, uh, by adding um, the ability to tag or identify uh, surface protein expression in in your single cell, for example. So th- there's plenty of interesting work uh, to do going forward.
0: Well, Andrew and, and Mata, what a fabulous conversation. What, this is really a state-of-the-art work, uh, very uh, interesting and innovative, and I really thank you both for, for joining us for, for this uh, conversation. So, and if you get the last word as our fellow at this, for this work, what do you think will be the most important applications uh, going forward of these uh, uh, interesting new approaches? Thanks, Dr. Briggs. I,
1: as I think about this, I think a, a very pervasive challenge in transplantation and immunosuppression is that we have to use broad immunosuppressants, which are essentially indiscriminate in suppressing immune responses, uh, suppressing those from against, against the donor, as well as uh, immune responses against cancer and infection. I think uh, uh, after the bioinformatic heavy lifting that uh, Andrew mentioned with this technology, There may be the ability to identify donor specific immune cells and then isolate specific pathways that are activated only within the donor specific cells, potentially then allowing for the development of immunosuppressants against donor specific responses. I think this would be uh, the the biggest uh,
3: application that could arise from this.
0: Very interesting. Well, thank you both. Congratulations, Andrew, on a superb. Contribution to the literature, and thank you both for, for joining us today for this conversation.
2: This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider if you have any questions about any medical condition, or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of
3: Nephrology.